What up, world? It's your past first point guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond. You're listening to another episode of Lockdown Blazers, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Today's show, I want to talk to you about Hassan Whiteside's 10-block record-setting night against the Chicago Bulls, a new pairing between Carmelo Anthony and C.J. McCollum that's starting to help the Blazers' second unit, and then I want to look ahead to a challenging matchup on Tuesday against the Clippers that should tell us more about where the Blazers are at right now. But let's start with history. On Friday night against the Chicago Bulls, Hassan Whiteside blocked 10 shots, setting a franchise record and passing Bill Walton, Michael Thompson, Theo Ratliff, and Joel Prisbilla, a truly beautifully eclectic group of centers who all had nine blocks, some of them several times, Walton several times, Theo Ratliff several times. But now Whiteside stands alone. The single-game record holder, And here's the curious part about Hassan Whiteside's game. It's hard to block 10 shots and not get a triple-double when you're Hassan Whiteside, but he managed to pull it off. He finished with just 8 points. It wasn't a particularly good offensive night for him. And if you listen to this podcast, you know that I am not much of a Hassan Whiteside believer. I've been probably harder on him than is fair in this podcast, but I do think he's, he's just a curious case when you watch him. And I think, let me start by saying this. The last three games, two against the Bulls, Sandwiched between a meeting with Oklahoma City Thunder. Hassan Whiteside's been good. He's been good. He's been he's had some big games. He can have big box score games when he isn't that when he doesn't play that well, but he's been good. He's and he's had box big box score games to back it up. And Friday's game against the Bulls was the latest with eight points, fifteen boards, and ten blocks. Didn't make his free throws, shot four eleven from the floor, but he was pretty good. But I think the Bulls game maybe is it's maybe the best sort of Rorschach test for what Hassan Whiteside is. He was really good early on, undeniably good in in the first quarter, but I thought as the game went on, he struggled a little bit, and it was clear when he had eight or nine blocks that Whiteside was chasing blocks. He had a couple where he could have gotten a loose ball, and he kind of stayed in position around the rim to block a shot. He baited guards into driving maybe a little bit deeper than he could, but at the end of the game, the Bulls took a lot of pull-up jump shots because they were tired of getting shots swatted by Whiteside. I don't think overall this was a dominant performance. I wouldn't, I would shy away from using that word, but I think he was very good on defense, and regardless, this was as good as Whiteside has looked. This last week is as good as he has played in a Blazer uniform, so to nitpick any further seems unkind. He's this they're getting the best out of him right now. Hopefully that trends in that direction. And he won them the game. He had a putback with 8.8 seconds left when the Blazers were threatening to blow the game to the Bulls that basically sealed the game. It was the biggest bucket of the game. And what happened after that is more important to me than the blocks or the perceived hustle or whether he set screens and all that stuff. I thought the most telling moment of the game and the the sort of for me, what crystallizes the Hassan Whiteside experience is what happened immediately after that bucket. Carmelo Anthony stopped him at midcourt. They were in the far basket, had to walk back to their bench. Bulls call a timeout. And, and before they get back to the bench, Melo stopped Hassan at midcourt, hit him on the chest with, with both index fingers, said something to him. Damian Lord sees Melo delivering this message. He comes over and says something to Hassan Whiteside. They're both kind of pumping him up. So I went to the locker room and I asked both of them, you know, what would you tell him? And Damian Lord said that we're going to need you for moments like that. We're going to need you to be engaged for moments like that. And, and Carmelo Anthony asked him the same thing. He said the same thing. 
Here's the audio from that conversation. What did you say to him after that last putback? You kind of stopped him in midcourt. Sometimes that's what, that's what we're going to need. We need him to, uh, to do that. You know, we know who hands the ball is going to be in the end of the game. Game of season. And everybody else got to you know, find other things to, to get wins. And he won the game tonight with, with that tipping. And to me, what what Melo explains there is kind of like the challenge of what the Blazers are dealing with his son Whiteside is that he's having a great defensive game. He's cleaning the glass. He's been fantastic. And what their immediate reaction to him getting a big bucket was is that we need to encourage him. We need to tell him that's exactly what we want from you. We need you to be there for that f- for minutes 47 and 48. We need you to stay engaged on offense even when you're not getting it. We need you to play hard. Even when Hassan Whiteside was really good. And he was really good against the Bulls. He, was, he, he had a great game. The Blazers' leadership, to, to use a Bulls term, their leadership council. But they're two, you know, most vocal leaders. CJ does some leadership type stuff, but he's not the vocal leader that Dame is. And, and Melo, in the short time he's been here, at least from what the players say, has has quickly spoken up. He's, he's used his, he's sort of used his veteran presence to, to make his mark on the team, not just with basketball stuff, but commanding huddles and things like that. And But for Mello and Damian Lillard to immediately recognize they need to go encourage Hassan Whiteside, they need to go tell him, they need to give him that positive reinforcement, to me that tells you everything you need to know about him as a player. He's really talented, he can be really good, he can be a game changer, he can score the game-winning basket, but he, it's, it's going to be a a thing that the, his teammates know about him, that they need to keep him engaged. They need to keep him locked in and, and playing hard and with a ton of energy. So to me, the takeaway from that Bulls game is not Hassan Whiteside's a dominant defender and look how good he can be when he really plays hard and, and all these things. And, and, and I, don't think the, I don't think this week, two games against the Bulls or OKC is sort of like a referendum on his Blazers career to date. To me, the image that stands out, the thing I will remember, is Carmelo Anthony and Damian Lillard making a point of getting in his ear and getting in his, his face, quite literally, before he got back to the bench to tell him, that's what we need from you, to say, do things just like that. It's, I think that moment is as telling as any from the game. Okay, in the second segment... I want to talk a little bit more about Carmelo Anthony. The Blazers have changed the way they've used him a little bit. In six games, they've already switched up slightly how he works, how he fits into the rotation. I want to talk a little bit about that and his pairing with CJ McCollum in the second segment. But before we get there, I want to tell you guys about Audible. Audible has the world's largest selection of audiobooks and audio entertainment. And you can start listening today with a 30-day Audible trial. Choose one audiobook and two Audible originals absolutely free. Just visit audible.com slash locked on MBA. And if you're listening on the go, can't visit Audible right now, you can find this and all the other offers from the Locked On Network at lockedonpodcast.com slash offers. All right, so we talked Hassan Whiteside, who was good and still needed some encouragement. Not necessarily a bad thing, but I think a notable thing, a thing that will follow him for the final 60 games, wherever we're at, 62 games of the of his Blazers season. But I want to shift gears a little bit. I want to talk about a tweak that Terry Stotts has made to the rotation that I think has really 
helped the Blazers keep some balance on the floor. So about three or four games ago, Terry Stotts met with CJ McCollum and they talked about maybe tweaking how he would be used in the rotation, getting back to CJ's first four years of a starter when he would come out early at the under six or under five timeout, and then he would come back in at the under three and play with the second unit. So he would get a short rest in the first quarter, and instead of having Damian Lillard play the full first quarter, you only have Dame play the first nine minutes, and you kind of stagger them a little bit more. The Blazers, of course, last season went away from that, played them almost exclusively together. Early in the season, Stotts, I I was very surprised by this. I said all summer long that he was going to stagger them, and then he came out to start the season by playing them together the majority of their minutes and letting some occasional Blazers all-bench lineups get absolutely feasted on. Well, after struggling to open the season and adding Carmelo Anthony, Terry Stotts has changed that up. He's now yanking CJ McCollum at about the five minute at that six minute mark, halfway through the first quarter, and then bringing him back three, three and a half minutes later. But the other person he's doing that with is Carmelo Anthony. So the first subs off the bench are Anthony Simons and Nazir Little. And then Melo comes back in for Nazir. He gets these short stretches. And the Blazers have a bench group that's Anthony Simons, Kent Bazemore. C.J. McCollum and Carmelo Anthony. This has been something that Stotts has tried to go to because he wants to keep Damon Rodney Hood on the floor at the same time, Damon Lillard Rodney Hood on the floor at the same time, and C.J. McCollum and Carmelo Anthony on the floor at the same time because the Blazers just need the offense. They need two of those four on the court at all times just to provide a little bit of balance. The idea, I guess, was that the Blazers would give Mario Hazonia and Bazemore and Anthony Simons the reins with that second unit, and it, that just has failed miserably. Uh, Hazonia's out of the rotation entirely. Kent Bazemore's just just a real real negative on offense right now. He does some positive things, but he can't he cannot score really outside of spot up shooting. And if you make him the focal point of the second unit, he gets a lot fewer spot up opportunities. Anthony Simons is just he looks like a twenty year old in the NBA. I know the Blazers hyped him up to be. Uh, the best young guard in the league, and he's not that. What he is is a very talented 20-year-old who is believably struggling a little bit with consistency. He went scoreless against the Bulls, for instance, because he's young and he hasn't played a lot of NBA minutes. I think he has a bright future ahead of him, but his present right now is a little bit murky. And Stotts recognized this, and that's why he's gone to this CJ McCollum and Carmelo Anthony second unit pairing. I actually think it's a really good plan. It made sense. It always made sense to stagger Damon CJ's minutes this year. I know some people weren't in favor of it because they thought the Blazers were getting killed anyways. So you might as well try to maximize the minutes when they're those who are on the court getting killed when when Dame sits anyways. So you might as well maximize it on the court. I don't. I'm not a really believer in that. I think they just need more balance with the second unit. I think they can't. Um, I think it makes more sense to take CJ out early and 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 bring him back. And having him play with Carmelo Anthony has clearly been a boost. Almost a quarter of all the passes C.J. McCollum has thrown in the six games that Carmelo's been on the team have gone to Mello. He's not... It, Joe Freeman pointed this out to me, and I cannot stop seeing it, but C.J. passes to Mello more than anyone else. He seems to trust Mello more than anyone else. I wrote about this phenomenon on for NBC Sports Northwest, and you can find that on the website, but I want to talk about it a little bit more here in depth in case you're an audio person and not a reader. CJ credits uh, his sort of on-court chemistry with Carmelo Anthony to them two playing together in those black ops runs that Melo used to host with his trainer CJ Brickley in New York that CJ's gone to the last three summers and played in a little bit in. He also credits the, to 
just two good basketball players. Carmelo Anthony is smart and understands angles and stuff like that. Melo was a little more cautious when talking about the two-man game. He said, you know, we're still getting it. We're still figuring it out. We're not there yet. There's not things that we've perfected. It's not finely tuned and it's early, but he said they're getting there. But the trust is obvious. Beyond the like surprising a quarter of all CJ's passes stats, you just watch him and you can see them trying to find each other in the two-man game, work off each other, particularly in the second unit. A little bit with the starters, but when it's them two on the floor with Bazemore, Simons, and Scal, those are the they're the guys who want to play off each other more than the other three. And I want to give you some stats, and I want I want to preface this by saying it, this is a comically small segment. I'm talking about 28 minutes of basketball across three games, but that's what we got, so that's what I'm gonna go with, and I'll keep I'll keep checking this out. So the first 28 minutes overwhelmingly positive. In those 28 minutes. When Damian Lillard is on the bench and C.J. McCollum and Carmelo Anthony share the floor together, the Blazers have a 115.3 offensive rating. If that was stretched out for the whole season, that would be good enough for the second best offense in the NBA behind the surgically good Dallas Mavericks. But in addition, and this is why the small sample size, I think, is is important to highlight, they have a 70.5 defensive rating. That would be the best defense in the NBA by... Oh, 30 points per 100 possessions. That's not going to last. This is what happens when you play bad teams. Those bad teams have bad second units. And Day- and CJ and Mello have been able to beat up on those second units. For those of you who don't want to do the math, that is a plus 44.8 net rating according to NBA.com. Beating teams by almost 45 points per 100 possessions with Mello and CJ pairing on the floor and Dame on the bench. That's absurdly good. And won't last. But I think the numbers suggest, they, they, the numbers to me were better than I would have guessed just eye test wise. But eye test wise, you can see the, you can see the chemistry building. You can see the trust building. You can see that CJ, who is known to sort of pound the rock and say, I can score on anyone. I don't need help, has said, you know, Mello and me can run a little pick and roll. Mello, Mello and me can run a little handoff and I can get open or I can screen for him and give him a mismatch or he can screen for me. And we can force a switch. And sending those two out against second units allows them to dominate lesser competition. The Blazers' bench has been pretty inconsistent. Nazir Little plays with energy. Kent Bazemore flies around and does stuff. Scalabasier has these eight or nine minute stretches when his shooting touch is just fantastic. There's about three athletic things. Anthony Simons does a game where you say, holy cow. But they haven't been really good at scoring. They just, they don't stop people necessarily and they can't generate a, a ton of good offense on their own. Putting CJ and Mello gives, puts two, the Blazers, you know, second and third best offensive player on the court with them to bully second units, to bolster that group. And it gives Nas a little more time on the court next to Hassan Whiteside and Damian Lillard, which probably helps out Nazir Little's development a little bit. Also puts him on the court more with Rodney Hood. So he has another scorer on the wing and it's not Bazemore. I think this pairing helps, and I think it does everyone a solid. It doesn't ask Carmelo Anthony to come off the bench, keeps the starting unit intact, keeps the closing unit intact. You don't have to stretch anyone out long and play them long stretches in the second half, but it gives balance to the team. That's what this group needs. And yet, they've beat three bad teams in a row. So, and the same bad team twice, the Bulls twice. 
But three wins over bad teams, you can't shake your head at that. The Blazers desperately need to beat bad teams. They desperately need to take care of teams. But their next game, Tuesday against the Clippers, is against a really good team. So that's what I want to talk about in the third segment, is the real curiosity when the Blazers get a test against an elite team. All right, still Mike Richmond, still locked on Blazers, still pass first point guard. We talked to Son Whiteside. We talked to Mello and CJ pairing. Now I want to talk about the Blazers' test, the big old test. They had Saturday off, a blackout day. Sunday and Monday they practiced, although, and I'll probably end up writing about this and talking about this more in the podcast in the future, the Blazers don't really practice that much, like physically practicing. They watch film, they talk about stuff, they do like little walkthroughs. So, you know, they got together on Sunday and, and probably watched a lot of film. They'll do the same thing on Monday, watch a lot of film with the Clippers. It should be a really good test. The Clippers, as I'm hitting record on this, are 14-6, and six, and they host the Washington Wizards at home in about an hour. But regardless of what happens in that Wizards game, the Clippers are one of the best teams in the NBA. And the Blazers just haven't had success against some of the top teams in the league. In fact, they have one win this year against a team that's currently in the playoff picture. Some of that is because they just haven't played a, a, a ton of playoff caliber teams. But that one win came all the way back on October 27th at Dallas. The night that Zach Collins dislocated his shoulder and kind of sent the Blazers' season sideways in a hurry. So here we are a month later, more than a month later, and the Blazers on Tuesday will play at the Clippers, who they lost to earlier this season. November 7th, the Blazers lost by 6, 107-101. Played L.A. really well. And then Kawhi Leonard just took over down the stretch, put Hassan Whiteside in a bunch of pick and rolls. And every time Hassan Whiteside dropped into the paint, he pulled up for a little mid-ranger. Can't bang on Hassan too much for that. Not a lot of people can guard Kawhi Leonard. And the Blazers don't exactly have wings to help out Hassan. But nonetheless, the Clippers in crunch time pick and rolled this team to death. And since then, they've added Paul George, who's pretty good. And so that's why I think there's a real curiosity to me surrounding this Tuesday night game. We have seen the Blazers struggle with Melo in the lineup, but it's hard to judge them when Dame doesn't play. They're just not built to say, like, this, to, to really put too much stock into the minutes or into the games where Damian Lloyd sits out. We know they're not good when he doesn't play. But in the three games, with a full complement, with everybody healthy, with Hassan Whiteside healthy, with Damian Lillard healthy, Hassan said after the Bulls game Friday, it's probably as healthy as he's been all season. And with those two healthy, and with Rodney Hood back in the lineup, and with Melo and CJ good to go, the Blazers have played three games, and they've won them all and they against bad teams. You can only win the games on your schedule. They look pretty good over these last three games. But what I'm really curious to see is what they can do against a truly elite team. A team that Carmelo Anthony might have to guard an all-star caliber player. Or be asked to guard a lot of uh, territory if they put shooters like uh, Jermichael Green on the floor. Or if they put Mo Harkless at four and have Melo guard him. Mo's not going to break him down off the dribble, but he has the athleticism to be a problem on the glass. And, and that'll be a test. 
I talked about this in the last episode I recorded, but Melo has made has helped the Blazers make sense. Tweaking the lineup to have him and CJ play with the second unit has helped them have balance. But we haven't seen them do it against a truly elite team. We haven't seen them do it against wings the caliber of Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. We haven't seen them go up against shot creators like Lou Williams, honestly. I mean, with all due respect to Chris Paul and Zach Levine, we haven't really seen this version of the Blazers go up against a trio as creative offensively as Lou Will, PG, and Kawhi. We haven't seen, and again, with all due respect to Stephen Adams and Wendell Carter Jr., we haven't seen Hassan Whiteside go up against a center duo as good as Zubac and Montrez Harrell. You'll recall the last time the Blazers played the Clippers was Zubac had a monster first half, Hassan Whiteside really struggled, and the TNT guys just tore him to shreds during halftime. He responded with a much better second half. In fact, I thought he had about his probably best nine-minute stretch of the game to open the third quarter. Engaged, playing hard. But that took Damian Lillard clearly yelling at Hassan during a national television broadcast. Uh, I don't think he saw the Barkley and Shaq thing at halftime, but getting ripped apart by the national media to really energize him. So this will be a good test. It'll be a good test for Whiteside. It'll be a good test for what Melo does. It'll be a good test for the starting lineup. The Bla- I've highlighted how, in the past episode, how kind of easy the Blazers' schedule is in December, quote-unquote easy. They'll play a bunch of bad teams at home. Kings, Thunder, Knicks, Warriors, Magic, T-Wolves, Pelicans, just to rip off a few. But this one, before that stretch starts, before a home-heavy stretch starts, Clippers Tuesday, Lakers Friday, sandwiched between that Kings game. I am very intrigued to see what this team looks like against the best teams in the West. I don't think they need to win. Like, this wouldn't be a referendum on on the season or on the mellow signing if they get smoked in this game. But you'd like to see them be competitive, at least for the most part. They might get out-talented down the stretch. It happens. It's it's what good teams do in the NBA is they wait to the last eight minutes and they kind of just choke the life out of lesser opponents. So I won't kill the Blazers on here. In fact, I won't even do, I don't even do recaps, so I probably won't talk about the game too much specifically on here. But I won't kill the Blazers if they lose a a tough game to the Clippers and compete. But I am really curious to see what this new look team looks like against the best teams in the NBA. I'm going to tune in Tuesday. Hope you guys do too. Also, do me a favor, tell your friends about this podcast. They can find it where they already get podcasts. That's on Google and Apple. Stitcher and Spotify. Fun week ahead. Appreciate you guys listening. Talk to you soon.